Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Tuesday, January 30th. I'm Hannah Floor. Strong winds and heavy rainfall swept across southeast Alaska yesterday. Those winds took down a large spruce tree at about 30 mile on Mitkoff Highway, blocking the road. Department of Transportation crews cleared both lanes of traffic by the end of the day yesterday. The National Weather Service measured wind speeds of nearly 50 miles per hour at nearby Blackery Point at 6 a.m. yesterday morning. Rick Fritch is a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Juneau. He says winds in Petersburg and Wrangell were calm in comparison to peak speeds around the region. Some of the other places had been um, seeing frequent gusts in excess of 60 miles per hour. Heidelberg, Ketchikan, Metlakatla. Later in the day, we did record a 93-mile-an-hour wind gust at the ski area here in Juneau. It's called Eagle Crest. We had lots of uh, wind gusts that were uh, checking in above 60 miles an hour through the day here in Juneau and also Sitka. Barry Youngberg is the airport manager for the Alaska Department of Transportation. He says it's common for strong winds to blow down smaller trees, but that, quote, this one was exceptional in size. He estimates the tree was three feet in diameter. DOT reported blocked roadways around southeast Alaska after yesterday morning's high wind speeds. A snapped alder tree dangled over Halibut Point Road in Sitka, requiring a temporary detour. Wrangell had a small landslide near Six Mile in Zim- on Zamovia Highway, and a downed tree also fell on a house. The extent of the damage is not known. And Haynes had a landslide on Lutak Highway near Five Mile. None of the events are known to have caused any injuries. National Weather Service keeps track of weather events and damage through citizen reporting. Anyone who has seen weather-related damage can send photos to juno.weather at noaa.gov and note where the photo was taken. Cruise ships dumped more than 3 million pounds of trash in Juno's only landfill during the 2019 tourist season. In 2022, the city and cruise lines signed an agreement to reduce those numbers. That agreement went into effect last summer. But did it work? Clarice Larson looked into it. About 250,000 pounds of trash made its way from cruise ships to Juno's landfill last summer. That might sound like a lot especially considering that the landfill is only projected to last another 20 years. But that amount is down from over 3.3 million pounds dumped in 2019. Juno Tourism Manager Alex Pierce says the reduction, which came despite record numbers of cruise passengers, is groundbreaking. It's over a 90% reduction, which is what we were going for with the agreements. What we're doing is exciting, and it takes a lot of collaboration and coordination But we're making real change in our community. Waste Management, the company that operates the landfill, says it takes in about 100 tons of trash daily, which means all of the cruise ship trash this year amounted to just over a day's worth of normal trash in Juneau. In 2019, cruise ships dumped about 16 days' worth of trash. Pierce says the trash agreement is one step the city has taken in recent years to better manage tourism impacts. Reducing waste was one of the commitments the city's Visitor Industry Task Force recommended back in 2020. The agreement asked cruise lines to eliminate offloading bulky and oversized items into the landfill. We've been hearing for years that cruise ships are dumping things like mattresses and furniture in our landfill, and that's really problematic. We don't want to see that in an islanded 
community from Hawaii's perspective like like we have. According to Renee Reeve, a spokesperson for Cruise Line International Association Alaska, the organization has wanted to reduce trash left in Juneau since 2019 when it became aware of how much cruise ships were contributing to the dying landfill. She says the agency is pleased with the results. This is something that isn't done in necessarily other places in the world and it was kind of a first of its kind and I think the ability of the industry and the community to work together is extremely important as we address, you know, tough, tough issues together. Reeves says the trash that used to get left in Juneau is now likely going to the ports where the cruises started, Seattle, Vancouver, and Victoria. This year, Juneau's first cruise ship will come on April 9th. It will be Juneau's first season with a limit of five large ships per day, another agreement the city negotiated with cruise lines. In Juneau, I'm Clarice Larson. The Prince of Wales Island wolf trapping season for 2023 ran for about a month and concluded in mid-December. Total wolf harvest for Game Management Unit 2, which also includes outlying islands, was 70 wolves, according to the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Fish and Game biologist Ross Dorendorf said that the season went about as expected. And that's based on the average harvest rate per day of wolves since 2019. So we take that average harvest rate and then we use that information to look at the current population estimate and figure out what's sustainable, which is typically around 30% of the population. He says the department previously expected up to 80 animals to be harvested. The actual take is relatively consistent with the last few years. That's been a point of contention among Ketchikan residents since the department switched to a season-based system to manage wolf populations about four years ago. The month-long trapping season on Prince of Wales is different from the federal and statewide hunting seasons. Hunters don't pose much of a threat to wolves on state or federal land in Game Unit 2. Their season began in September, but of the 70 wolves harvested last year, only four were shot by hunters. Fishing game bases harvest quotas on the previous year's population estimates. Last year's season was based on an estimate of about 250 wolves in the area. Dorendorf says they're already planning for the 2024 season. Collection occurs from the last week of September through the first week of December, to be more specific. And that whole process of processing all those samples and then getting the information back and crunching the numbers and getting an actual estimate usually takes about 8 to 10 months, so probably by next October. Department officials also share concerns for the future of the population. They have identified upticks in inbreeding and other genetic dangers for the population. However, hunters and trappers have shared concerns about what more wolves could mean for prey species like deer. The state house is holding hearings on a bill that Governor Mike Dunleavy claims could generate billions of dollars in revenue for the state. The bill would create a legal framework for the state to lease state land for underground storage of carbon dioxide. This is called carbon sequestration. It's one method of reducing the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which drives climate change. At a hearing on Thursday, Deputy Department of Natural Resources Commissioner John Crowther told lawmakers that other states with significant oil and gas industries are beginning carbon storage projects. There's been significant movement in the broader CCUS space, the carbon capture utilization storage space over the last year, both in Alaska, nationally and internationally. House lawmakers on the Finance Committee expressed uncertainty about how the carbon storage bill would work in practice. 
Anchorage Democrat Elise Galvin asked about DNR's role in managing a carbon storage industry in Alaska. I also am cons- just wondering about the costs of, of DNR you know, overseeing this as a caretaker function. I don't know if that, what does that mean. Um, do we have to have some sort of insurance in case something pops up? Um, I, I, this is so new to, to me that I, I just don't know what liabilities there would be. The House Finance Committee is expecting to hold multiple hearings on the carbon storage bill this session as it develops. The carbon storage industry is still in its infancy nationwide, but the federal government has created tax incentives to capture and store carbon emissions from industrial and power-generating facilities. The scale of a potential carbon storage industry in Alaska is still being studied. Dunleavy introduced the bill last year, but it didn't make it through the legislative process by the time the session wrapped up in May. Last month, Sika hosted the first-ever Alaska State Pinball Championship. It's part of a national resurgence in passion for pinball. The winner will advance to the North American Championship in Wisconsin this spring. Catherine Rose reports. Justice has been working at Sitka's Coliseum Theater since last summer, taking tickets and selling concessions. Before then, her arcade experience was pretty casual. I definitely enjoy watching um, a lot of uh, arcade games and videos on like YouTube and whatnot, just because it seems kind of fun and interesting, but I don't tend to play a whole lot. Yeah. But now, when things are slow at the popcorn counter... She often sneaks around the corner to the black and icy blue pinball machine with Arnold Schwarzenegger's half-molten face on the front and plays. Put in however many quarters, go ahead and press start. And the Terminator one actually has um, a trigger and it has a moving target. So um, you want to time your shot up with that so it's going to hit. Cinephile Sitkins may have noticed the pinball machines lining the lobby of Sitka's single-screen movie theater, and most pass right by them, eager to get a good seat for whatever's on the big screen. But for anyone who knows pinball, the collection will stop them in their tracks. David Elrod is one of those people. He's playing the very rare Tron Legacy pinball game. As he flicks the flippers, the music of daft punk blasts from the speakers. I love the sounds of this game. Elrod isn't just a casual player. He's the Alaska rep for the IFPA. That's the International Flipper Pinball Association. And he's the top-ranked player in the state. He's here in Sitka for the first-ever state pinball championship. It was always a very appealing game to me. I grew up in San Francisco where there was a big arcade scene, and I wasn't very good at Street Fighter 2 or Mortal Kombat, but the 7-Eleven I used to play, I had an Adams Family pinball machine too. And when we moved up to Juneau when I was, I guess, 13, they had one as well. Around five years ago, he dove into the competitive pinball scene in California. Then he moved back to Juneau during the pandemic to help the owner of the Crystal Saloon open a barcade. They started hosting regular pinball tournaments. Around the same time, a group of pinball players in Anchorage began hosting meets, and Alaska's pinball scene was quickly on the rise. Meanwhile, 
word of a big collection of machines in Sitka started to spread. When I came back to Juneau, I kept hearing about the Coliseum Theater. I kept hearing about this movie theater with all of these amazing games in it. And we have this website called pinballmaps.com, which you can use to find games. And it wasn't on there. And I'm like, what is everybody talking about? When Elrod became the state rep for the IFPA, he had to decide where the state tournament would be. And Sitka was at the top of the list. So he got a hold of the Coliseum Theater owner, Scott Bowen. And then he showed me the rest of the games that he had. And he has like 50-something games in storage. It's amazing. I'm over there setting up now, and it's just like, where did you get all this stuff? This stuff's all sitting here. Very collectible games. The games they have on the floor there, stuff you won't see places. Elrod says it's the imperfections of pinball that make it challenging and great. Pinball, is it's, it's tactical. It's physical. A video game, the... The coding and the computer is always going to rule, but there's always some imperfection or maybe something's like slanted a little bit differently or the rubber's worn a little bit differently, so they're not always going to play the same. They could be at a different pitch. And since no game is the same, that makes Sitka a perfect place for the top 16 players from Anchorage and Juneau to converge, since there's no home field advantage. Everyone's going to have games they haven't quite touched yet. They'll know, hopefully know the rules by then, but it's going to play differently than if you have the same game at home or in an arcade that you normally go to. Elrod hopes that the tournament will spark local interest and perhaps produce future tournament-level players from Sitka. Justice, at the movie theater, is entering a competition open to the public, just for a lark. So I definitely have been playing a lot more. I'm for sure not very good. Um, Scott, the owner uh, of the theater, he was like test playing one of the pinball machines and just casually playing. He definitely beat my personal best with ball one. <laughs> so definitely don't have expectations to make it very far, but I think it's going to be fun anyways. And that's sort of the point of pinball. Elrod says it's about fun and camaraderie and beating the game, not the opponent. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.